0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable, board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Brant Brinkenhoff, owner of Ash Games, an indie board game studio dedicated to crafting unique, clever, obsession-worthy games. This first game, the highly anticipated, award-winning title, Oros, is currently on Kickstarter. He's going to talk to us about it today. Uh, Brant, you got to be just on cloud nine. Welcome to the binge, my friend. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. I'm great. Um, absolutely. Cloud nine. Just, just being here with you though. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's all that it takes to that's get like, me there. Forget the Kickstarter that's right. just to be able to talk. That's to right. No, just being here month, eh? like boom, hit, hit the top of my
0: day, <laughs> man. Oh man. We're going to get into this Kickstarter. It is doing incredibly, not only it award a winning, uh, you've got just tons and tons of people on social media. I'm sure most people that is listening right now have heard of this game because it is all over social media. Everybody's giving it massive, massive props. I checked it out. It looks awesome. But we're gonna get into it in a second. First, I want to start off with like this is your first game. So like, what's what do you do for a living besides board game design? Yeah. So I'm a
1: graphic designer uh, at least a trained graphic designer I've been working in the graphic design industry for oh boy just under 20 years or so 16 17 years or so wow um and i've worked across this whole broad spectrum of of things everything from branding and marketing to user experience design to app development and all sorts of things so um, I, I already have like this pretty diverse skill set i suppose in creating things and also in solving problems and, and creative solving you know problem solving sure Though so it all definitely translates, I mean, definitely my background translates into <laughs> into so this game a lot. Are you like a
0: freelance guy right now that has like a strong tech background from working with some large companies, or how does that how does that fit?
1: Uh, no, so I'm actually uh, so I worked at agencies. I, I used to live in Chicago. I worked at an agency in Chicago for about ten years. Nice. Um, then I moved. To utah worked another agency for another oh, three or four or five years something like that worked closely with adobe i was, I was running the adobe account for that for that um wow. client for a long time and then now i'm actually a creative director at a company called 1-800 contacts which and i'm part of their business incubation group so uh part of what we do is we, we form new businesses and we do all of the all of the branding all the creative work all of the upfront work to be able to launch businesses for them so so there's,
0: there's a number of transferable skills in here that he just touched on. I'm going to touch on each one. So one is uh, the, the fact of your graphic design, right? So did you do your own graphic design for this game or did you kind of farm that out or?
1: I've done everything for the game. So everything that you've seen wow. is something that I've done. So I did all the graphic design, all the artwork, all the videos, all the all the page work, all of the rendering, all of the whatever, all the animation, I've done all of it.
0: That is incredible. And I think that that's probably a... A good suite of, of skill sets to have because if you're having to farm out, a lot of people will either maybe if they're illustrators, they'll farm out the graphic design, the graphic designers, they'll farm out the illustration, uh, right. you know, or they'll farm out the videos and things like that. So the fact that you're doing all of that yourself, um, that's crazy. It, <laughs> it's amazingly crazy, <laughs> <laughs> and which is why it's taking you know it takes it's
1: taking me so long to be able to actually get to this point. Yeah, um, you know, I've had a really long runway, uh, which has been really good. Yeah, but also like you know when you're the person doing all the things you can't you can only split yourself up so many ways. And you know I also I have a family. I've got four kids and full time yeah. job. You know I've got all this other stuff going on. So there's only so much that you're able to accomplish in a day. You know. So.
0: And then um, the other part is going to say is that if you're building businesses or starting or incubating businesses, that's another huge, huge skill set when it comes to uh, game development and game publishing. Right? Is the whole project management side and the whole yeah. kind of bringing all the components together and figuring out, you know, the manufacturing and the distribution and all that. So the fact that you've kind of come with the suite of skill sets, you've almost got like the, uh, the perfect kind of toolkit on your, on your belt to, uh, to launch like a board game in the industry, I guess I'd say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. Right. <laughs> I sure hope so. No, it's working out really well so far. And like, that's it's actually one of the reasons why I took that job at one context because I actually wanted more exposure to that side. Yeah. Of, uh, of like what, what it takes to start a business and what it take you know, how all that stuff works. And so it's been really good to be able to connect with a lot of people who uh, who do startup, yeah. you know, they live in the startup culture. And so it's been really interesting. it's definitely helped me on my side, right? Like with the publishing side and the manufacturing side and arranging, there's a lot to arrange when you're oh, publishing, yeah. you know, you don't really think about what it takes. Uh, I think until you start getting into it, you don't really realize what it takes to even run a Kickstarter. Yeah you know, alone, which is its own, that's its own project, right? Like that that's not even connected. <laughs> it's its own beast. Yeah. But then on top of that, like actually to publish a game, it's kind of crazy, like all of the things that go into it. So.
0: so how long have you been gaming for? Is this something that you've been doing your whole life, like board gaming specifically, or is it, uh, what's kind of your background in gaming itself?
1: Man, even back in like 20 years ago in high school, I was, you know, drumming up, friends to play Settlers of Catan, you know, like I've been, I've been gaming for a really, really long time. I've always been a, you know, kind of a game nerd, board game nerd. And uh, even when we were living in Chicago, we'd get our neighbors over, you know, we were always getting people to come over and play board games. So um, it's always been a passion of mine. It's not something that I'd ever even thought about. Like I never made the connection of like what I do professionally and what I enjoy as a hobby and making those two things connect before (laughs) Until I started working on this project, um, and then I was like, "Wait a second! I have, actually have a lot of the skill set needed to be able to do this."
0: So, where did the idea for this come up? Like, like come from? Like, how did you come up with this idea for this game?
1: So, it started when I moved from Chicago, moved to Utah, and across my across the street lived a guy. His name is Charles, and he loved designing games. And so we kind of connected, and he was, and you know, very quickly it was like, "You like games? You design stuff." this is gonna be a really great relationship here, right? Like, let's yeah. talk. And so we would sit and, uh, you know, we'd sit in nights and we'd play some of the games that he had he had created or like, he would show me different ideas of things. And so this game actually started with with Charles. He had this idea of just like a map and things that would shift around is basically like, yeah. like playing Labyrinth or something, you know? It was just like a shift and, you know, it wasn't really a game. It's just like, wouldn't this be so cool if there's a globe and there's plate tectonics? And when you like said that, I was like, what? Like there's something here. And like, I didn't sleep the whole night. I was like, I was up like writing notes, all these ideas. The next day I went to him with like notes. I'm like, dude, what if there were like volcanoes? What if you're forming mountains? What if things were like exploding? What if there was earthquakes? What if, what if, what if, and he was like, dude, if you can make that into a game, you like go and go make a game. I want to see what you can do. And so that's really what kind of started this whole thing. I went and, got a pizza box and started cutting out tiles and, yeah, you know, testing ideas. A lot of things didn't work at all. You know, a lot of things are just horrible, but that's what started the whole thing. And that was like five years ago. It's been like a whole.
0: I was going to say how long ago box. that was. So it was five years ago. So at that time was the idea that you just wanted to create a, you had an idea for you just want to create a game or was it at that time, the spark kind of saying we got something here that maybe we can, we can take kind of the whole way.
1: Oh yeah. I, I like the idea of a plate tectonic based game, like it really sparked inspiration. Like it, mm-hmm. like I was like, there's something so good in here. And I think that's also the same thing with a lot of people as they see the games, they see it in motion, or especially as you start to interact with it. Yeah. Um, that's what makes it so special. And that's what I felt was so special. And that's that's one of those things that as you're developing it, it's really easy to get distracted into different paths and you yeah. start making things that are like outside the heart. And that's one of those things is like, no, no, if this isn't part, you know, if, if this is ancillary to that heart, that core of the game, that which is what makes it so special, then it doesn't belong. Like we've got to make a game that, you know, we've got to develop around this, the heart, the beating heart of this thing, because that's really what uh, makes it special. And I think that's still what makes it special when, when people play with it. So.
0: so when did you have your first prototype? Like, so five years ago, the idea there, of play tectonics kind of you know set off the light bulb in the head and say wow this is something that's kind of unique in terms of mechanic when did you have your first kind of playable prototype how long did that take
1: like 2 weeks maybe so that's i right. had <laughs> and, and like i said like i the whole first prototype was on the back of a pizza box and it was because we had ordered pizza the day before and i had a box and so i was like that'll that's a big piece of cardboard i'll work yeah. i'll work with that and i cut everything up and i had drawn all these things like the tiles and it did just really rudimentary, right? It was like color in the edges. Like, okay, that has two edges here and that one has two edges there. And, and then uh, I don't know how other people do things like this, uh, but uh, I would sit in our living room and I'd play the game. It's four players, right? I'd play yeah. one, I'd stand up, go to the next spot, play the game. And I would do that over and over and over again. I probably played it, I don't know, 10, 15 times before, you know, and, and working out kinks and stuff and tells like, okay, this is actually working. Now let's get, you know, let's rope in the people who you love, who, uh, you know, who are willing to sit down and mess around with a pizza box board game and actually play it with you and, and then, you know, find new things to break. And then I'd sit and play it again, 10, 10 or so times until I had fixed those problems. And then I'd get someone else to play it. And then I'd, you know, repeat that process over and over again until it was really fluid. Right. And then I started yeah. actually creating things that were a little bit more dressed up just so, you know, cause when you're you're asking people to play test games. You're asking them to invest themselves in something yeah. that, that they often don't want to do. So the, the better you can make it look, the better you can make the experience, the more likely that they're going to say, wow, that was, that was okay. I'll, I'll, I'll be willing to play again.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's a big difference between taking like a prototype that you get from like, um, like a game crafter prototype, for instance, is actually, even if it's like using clip art, but like it's polished and looks like an actual game versus something that's like hand-drawn, on little little pieces of paper and cardboard. I mean, you can get people to play both, but you're going to have a lot more people say, yeah, I'm good. (laughs) Oh, it's (laughs) so true. On the version versus the polished version, right? It's so
1: true. And even like the very first, uh, like real printed versions I had made, I still like drew artwork for the tiles. It was like really blobby and like Mm -hmm. not that great, but I still like did some rough things Mm -hmm. just so when I printed it out and we were playing, people would still feel like, this is a real game, right? Like this is yeah. a legitimate experience. And then they stop commenting on like the things you already know, right? It was like, this would be really great if it had like more color in it. And you're like, it's cardboard, yeah. like a little bit, you know? And so they stopped commenting on that and they start commenting on like giving actual feedback about the game, right? And so um, I, I found it very valuable to, I, I always had like some visual, you know, the, the game always looked pretty yeah. no matter, no matter what phase you're playing it in, it was still produced you know, as cheap as I can make it because sure. it's still a prototype and, you know, you don't want to just burn through your resources to play once and then be like, well, gotta make everything again because I have to change everything.
0: And in you fairness, I, mean? I think illustration from someone who's an illustrator, uh, even rough is going to look a lot better than probably me doing illustration. <laughs> right. So
1: <laughs> that's true. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, it depends on what you, what you do. Right. And yeah, it's a little unfair when, you know, People oh, so don't have whole that, that artistic background, you know.
0: These deities are demigod. like, was that right from the beginning? Like, so the plate tectonics is in there from the beginning. Was the whole idea like building shrines and the deities and things like was that all from the beginning, or or when did that? Come uh, through? no,
1: no, no. So, I mean, the game started honestly, is just like a tile shifting thing? Yeah. And, um, in 2019, I had entered into the Chris, uh, Chris Anderson runs a board game design workshop, yep. Yeah. And a friend of mine had told me about it. I'm like, okay, cool. And so, I submitted. The game to it and it quickly got moved over to the next round wow and part of the feedback i got i think it was actually a comment from chris anderson himself he said how do i have power to do this like this is really cool but how in the world do i have like how can i move land how can mm-hmm. i collide land together that doesn't make any sense i'm not just a person like there's clearly some power behind me and mm-hmm. that's where it's kind of like you know what you're totally right. Like you've got to have some reason to have power to be able to do what you're doing. And that actually kind of just shape, uh, like the, the anthropological side of the whole game too, because, um, it really starts to tap into some of the things that I'm really passionate about, um, about, uh, culture and, and anthropology and like, and the way that, uh, people interact. And then also you're making mountains during the game. And, um, I live, I live among the mountains. I'm a big mountain fan. And so, um, there's also this like association with mountains that, that, you know, histories have been written about, you know, people yeah. going to mountains to gain knowledge and wisdom. So like the theme kind of started to like seep in um, as soon as that question was asked, like, how is how am I able to do this? And it kind of started to come to life, which also actually became a really integrated part in the game. You can't really can't really remove it either because it's so yeah. integrated into what's happening in the game. Um, that it ties together.
0: So after that competition, did you massage the game? And then when did you uh, enter into like the ION awards? When did that come?
1: Yeah. Right after, right after that workshop ended, um, it was like a few weeks later and the ION submission was due. And I wasn't even like, I wasn't even thinking of entering honestly. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Charles. He was like, you just, you just put it in. Like, why, why wouldn't you just put it in? You already have a video you already have like a game that's gone through like nine months of workshopping, yeah. like you should just put it in. And so I entered it and yeah, it, it again went, uh, did well. And it won well on the ION. So
0: did you make tweaks, uh, after like with the feedback? you so got? Doing... tweaks. Oh, yeah. So what did you change in that one?
1: Um, so changed the name by the time it hit ION. <laughs> okay, I completely changed the name of the game. Um, and by that point, let me think. It was still like a deck building game at that point. There were still like mm-hmm. cards that you're using, which still like had some friction to it. Like it just didn't quite work. So there was a yeah. lot of little like massage things, nothing like really big, notable. The scoring system definitely changed a lot in that little phase there. Um, that, that had always been one of those things that was really difficult to, to iron out. It's like, is this a score track? You know, is this the, the, your, your traditional, like get get the biggest number? Yeah, And that took a long time to figure out. It was even after the ion before... I've landed on where the scoring is today, which again, is just like so integrated into the game. It feels so much better than like your typical Carcassonne, like, you know, keep track of the score while you're playing type of game. Yeah. And so again, it's just like, it's just those, t- it takes time to develop a game. It takes time for a game to mature.
0: Well, I, what I think is so, cool. What you're saying is like, so five years. So a lot of people I talk to will say, well, you know, we've been del- developing for the past year and they get to the, but you know a 5 year journey tells me this has gone through a lot of iterations right like you you iterated this and iterated and iterated took a lot of feedback i mean the fact that you made changes after the first uh, competition then into another competition made more changes shows that really you wanted to get the game right right before you oh, launch yeah. which i think is important i think that's what comes through when you see some of these reviews from people right and some of the people that have been reviewing this are almost giddy when they're, when they're talking about it, right. Because they haven't seen anything like this quite like this in, in, in quite some time, right. To have really kind of new mechanics, new thematic, new combination of worker placement and so forth. Um, and that's cool. Right. When you, when yeah. people get giddy talking about your game, then it says you're probably on the right track, right. You're, you're oh, in yeah. the right way. That's like so
1: exciting. Like yeah. every time we get a review, you're like, Oh, please. Oh, please. Like, I hope they liked it. And it's so (laughs) exciting. Yeah. When, when people immediately identify that, like, this is unlike anything, right? Like this, there's something really special here. Once you learn what's going on. um, And then like, like even learning how to master the game, it takes a long time to, you know, it's got a lot into it. A lot of replayability
0: and so forth. I'm actually sharing my screen right now for people that are watching the interview live. People want to come back and watch it afterwards. Uh, we're going to actually go through the game itself and kind of the, the Kickstarter page. Um, let me start off by just saying congrats on your funding. I'm going to put this in Canadian dollars because that's the way I can see it because I'm actually in Canada. Numbers always look bigger too, so that's good as well. So you're at $276,000 on it. I think it was like a $26,000 goal. So you know, more than 10 times uh, your, your funding goal. Congrats on that. That's amazing. Yeah, thank 10, you. backers last I checked. Maybe there's been more since we started talking. You do have 55 hours to go. The exciting part about that is now you're coming into that back end hockey stick, right? The last two days, last forty eight hours, is when again you do like a huge amount of volume comes in. So I'm sure these numbers are going to climb significantly. Um, I think just as we're going on air, you were saying something about some more stretch goals were unlocked or, or something like that. Yeah, we just hit on? one of the
1: milestones, just like right as we started, and was like, oh, I got to post an update. I have to post yeah. it after. But so, what, yeah, what, like,
0: what was the milestone? Can you can you say or
1: uh, two? Well. But uh, what like what do we unlock or what? what yeah, we get two hundred twenty thousand U.S. dollars, and uh, what we just added was printing all through the inside of the of, the, the, box. of the box. So oh, I love yeah, that. so it gives it that like nice, really that nice yeah. finished feel, right? Is, is you open things up, and it just feels like ah, it's all complete. It's like everything's yeah. been considered. I love that.
0: That's what I love about it. when people print inside the game. It, it it just shows that they care about detail, right? Little things, yeah. which really don't really matter at the end of the day. <laughs> But it's actually a little touch to help it make, make it a showpiece when it's on the table, right? When you're doing game night and you have people come by and they see the, the box opened up and there's just graphics artwork everywhere. People are like, wow, you know, what is that, right? And you want oh, yeah. that kind of stopping power. So that's, that's super cool. Can you talk about or give us kind of the gist of how this game works? Sure. Okay.
1: So uh, <clears throat> what makes it special is there's a map in the center of the table. And that map is like a shared environment. It's like a world that exists, and there are little land tiles on there. And those tiles have land and water, and um, you have the power to move and shift and collide those land masses. Your ultimate goal is to collide them together, make them bigger and bigger to form mountains. Yeah. And so that shared environment is just, is is a kinetic uh, environment, like a st- space where everybody exists and everybody's got their hands and fingers in it. Right. And so that part of it is what, where people used to say, like, this feels like a, like a video game, not a board game.
0: Yeah. Because it actually reminded super- me of an app that I used to play. It was called like 2048 or something like that, where you're smashing like ones <laughs> yeah. together and they form a two and then the two yeah. smash together form a four. So it's not quite double like that, but like, if you smash like a tile in your game with like a valued one and one that's a three, then that's going to make a four. So you replace exactly that one tiles with four. Right. Yeah,
1: exactly. And if you ever go over four it starts to form volcanoes. So volcanoes are like inert land that's sitting up above the tile. So you can still crash the tiles together and those volcanoes just keep getting bigger and bigger. And then part of the game is you can erupt those volcanoes, essentially like converting them back into tiles. So as you play the game, like things get like tighter and tighter and tighter until people are like, I've got to erupt volcanoes because we need more tiles, right? We we need more land. And you start pouring it back out. So there's this contraction and expansion to the game. But what it does is it's, it's a very interesting thing because like, oh, there's land on that side of me, but I need it on that side of me. I can push it this way and then Mm -hmm. I can erupt it that way. And you have complete control, right? Like you can control the environment, but that's, that's the catch. Like everybody has control. And so you're working on your thing, but the other people are like, no, 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 I want it over there. Like I need it my way, you know? And so there's this competition that's happening inside the middle. And and that's like, like to describe it as like, it's a, it's just like a shifting puzzle that's just constantly in motion and everyone's in there. And so
0: and it's like After. a globe that's flattened, right? So if you go off one end of the board, you can come back on this side. Correct, yeah. You get one point, you can even shift them around, circular around the circumference of the board. Um, so Perfect. there's so many different ways you can be shifting these tiles, right? And that's kind of the puzzle. And a lot of people that review this said, wow, you know, it's very puzzly. You know, when you're you're trying to think ahead and you're managing your player board, but you're still you're thinking of kind of where I'm going to go next, but then someone else does something which influences that, which then you got to change your plans. and
1: Yep. Yeah, but the good news is, like, when you do have to change your plans, there's always something for you to do. Yeah. like that, you never get like cornered to a point where you're like, well, I've got three actions, I can't do anything with them, because that's just not the case. You always are able to do something, which is I don't know, that's really interesting. But it does like the map itself, it it it, it, it encourages creativity. I think, mm-hmm. it, it, like especially people who see spatial puzzles, or people who like kind of like think outside the box. They're they, you know they think like, oh wait, if I, if I have a diagonal power. And I go there, I can diagonally jump to the opposite side of the map. Yeah. Nobody can do that. Like, I, I can have control, right? Or, like, oh, I can connect things in, in different ways that mostly, you know, that you might not think can connect, but they actually do connect to be able to get you to, you know, be able to accomplish whatever it is that you're doing. So, yeah, there's this really fun dynamic thing that's happening on the, the table in front of you. But then there's the second half of the game, which is your player board.
0: Yeah. And your player board right is right just as awesome. dynamic.
1: It's uh, And and part of this, like, as I've been developing it, part of it has always been about making sure every element is active and dynamic and that they're all, like, so tightly interconnected that you can't just, like, oh, let's just take that part out and, and, like, the game would be better. It's, like, you just can't take anything out, you know, And, and that's, to me, that's, like, that's what a good game is, right? It's, like, it's been so distilled down to, like, its essence. So, anyway, the player board. Um, you, you're, you're the way you take actions is you move your followers to different action spaces. And when they're on an action space, um, they're covering in that action space. So you can't use it again. So if you want to use that same action, you're going to have to move off of it, take a different action and then come back to take that action. And so there's yeah. this little like weaving uh, puzzle that's also happening as you're like trying to make sure that you're always leaving the right actions open at the right sequence at the right time or, or planning ahead. So you, you know, like for your next turn, you're going to be ready to be able to use the right actions. So that's a whole other like dynamic side that a lot of reviewers talk about that side too. Like you, they almost gotta, like that as much as everything else. Because yeah. And you got
0: to decide whether you're going to even bring more followers onto that board because you can end up blocking yourself. So you have the benefit of the additional kind of experience points, but the same and, and more actions about the same time you can end up blocking yourself and prevent you from doing what you want to do. Right.
1: Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's, it's kind of like flipping worker placement on its head because using worker placement games, the more, you know, the very first thing everybody does is unlock the next worker yeah, because that means more, more, more actions. But in this game, you always have three actions and that, you know, that never changes. Yeah. So more workers is actually more difficult. It would, it, it opens up possibilities to get more wisdom and get more points. Yeah. But like the more workers you have, the harder it is to play. And so, you know, if, if you're unlocking those guys, like you have to have planned in advance, like how am I going to use them? Yeah. So it doesn't end up clogging up my board and making it difficult for me to actually play my turn. And so, yeah. there's, it's, it's fun little things like that, right. That like kind of take a mechanic, like so everybody's familiar with worker placement by this point, yeah. but now it's different. Like that's a very different worker yeah, placement cool. experience. So,
0: and then you can use your wisdom. So you're, 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 getting wisdom, which you then can spend to then level up your, 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 like experience, like your skill tree. Right. So you got the, your player board's basically a skill tree. It allows you to do all these mm-hmm. different kind of actions, which in those skills can actually be better. So instead of just moving like, Three tiles one way, you can move them two ways. And then if you can keep leveling that up, for instance, then you can maybe move one diagonally and things. Is is that that's fair right. to say? Is that good a description?
1: Yep, yep, yep. So wisdom is like currency in the yeah. game. It's you know you gain wisdom by building sacred sites and doing other things in the game. Because studying and returning from study, you'll get wisdom. But every time you get wisdom, you get to move one of those little caps up, which means you get more power. Or yeah. you can invest your wisdom in points too, because that's that's kind of the the dichotomy that's getting tugged and pulled on. Right, it's that like you can invest wisdom in power, which makes it a little easier to play the game. But mm-hmm. power doesn't give you points. That doesn't help you win. Yeah. You have to like balance. When am I investing in the point side of the the tech tree as much yeah. as the ability side? And usually the person who wastes the least, you know, who's the leanest, with like I think I just need these abilities and that will get me by, and then invest everywhere else into points. Um, usually that's the one that's going to end up winning. So it's. You know, but you have to know, you know, where do you, where do you make those, that transition from points into power and stuff like that?
0: The other thing I think was really cool is that the, um, the sacred sites, right? So you're kind of building your temples up. So in normally when you're moving your, 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 your movement would be from one tile to the other, but once you've built up the kind of the steps, you're adding layers of these like little tiles on top of your tiles or smaller tiles, mm-hmm. I guess, that are these different shapes and they build up to kind of create like a, um, I guess a temple on the top of that tile. So your movements, I thought was interesting is when you're on the top of that, that temple, you're actually using movements within that tile to step down kind of the mountain before you can then move off of it to another tile. I hadn't really seen that in other games. Where did you come up with that idea?
1: Uh, Well, I think it's, hmm. I remember one play test where I had started like experimenting with like the idea of like sacred sites and things yeah. that were being built on mountains. And they were originally just like little things that were on the tile. And one of the play testers was like, dude, these should be like, these should stack like a staircase. Yeah. it's cool. And again, it was like, yes, they should. They should absolutely stack like a staircase. And he's like, you should be big, little, littler. And, and so with that idea and, it, and, it, you know, as soon as like people say like little things like that, right. Where yeah. you're like, this stack like a staircase, and, you know, they, and they don't think about it further than that, but yeah. it's like one of those little light bulbs. You're like, wait, like that's, that's actually really good. Like that's some really, you know, that's a really good, like, there's a lot to it. So yeah. that's really kind of was born. And then, you know, as you play test it, that's where it really gets refined into yeah. like, well, what, you know, why, um, with that at the, with the building of the sacred sites and how they stack, what it does is it creates a staircase. Yeah. So there's a mountain at the bottom and your sacred sites create a staircase on the way up. And something that people often say when they're playing is, uh, you know, oh, do I have to climb to the top to build at the top? Um, and I say, no, 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 you just have to be on the mountain. If you're on the mountain, you can always build. The cost is not climbing up. The cost is climbing down.
0: Uh, and that's yeah.
1: when they're like, oh yeah, that stinks. <laughs> I have to climb down. Oh, you know? So when you build your follower jumps up to the top, they immediately start to study. So they get to move all the way to the top. And usually people are like, I'm at the top I've won. And then they realize that like, no, if they want to use that follower now they have to walk down and that's a huge cost. So building at the top is a great reward, but it comes at a really hefty cost. And so,
0: and then the third element was there was this, um, what's, I'm trying to think of the name of it where, um, you've got like a scoreboard you're going up and it's um, it's like a little pyramid
1: Yeah, called the Ascension track. It's like it's a step pyramid. Step looking pyramid thing. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so, and then in that, so it, again, it's another kind of element that you're, you're thinking of and it kind of remind me a little bit of patchwork, you know, uh, for anybody who's played patchwork to get over the next player, if they're ahead two moves, well, you're just kind of skipping ahead to get over them. Mm-hmm. Some elements of that, I guess. So if you're moving forward like two spaces and someone occupies one, then you get to kind of leapfrog them. What was the thinking behind that?
1: Yeah. So that's a, like a really important part of the, the game. And a lot of people see it and they're like score track, got it. And it's not a score track at all. Like the no. person who's at the top is, doesn't always win the game. In fact, like of all the games I've tracked, which is like 150 or something like that of all the stats across all the mm-hmm. games. Um, it's only like 30% of the mm-hmm. time is the person at the top. Who's going to win the game. So um, but it's, it's as integrated into the strategy as all the rest of the parts um, you have to be paying attention to that ziggurat and your position on it, because when you build, you'll always step two, two steps forward. And if you land on a space that's occupied by someone else, you get to just keep moving forward. Now, each one of those spots on that, uh, ascension track are worth a point. So if you can take two steps and really get five steps out of it, you know, what was two points turned into five points. Right. And so yeah. there's a little bit of a strategy in like figuring out how to pace what you're doing yeah, to, to take advantage of that, or. Some people have like said like, well, actually I want to hold back. I'm not going to worry about points there because if I can extend the game, mm. I might actually be able to pick up more points doing this other thing. And so some people also like unlock it in a different way and used yeah. it in different ways to be. So it's a strategic thing. I've seen people at the very bottom of the, of the, uh, the Ascension track or like last place, not at the bottom, but they're usually like on spot 10 or 11. They're not in the lead at all. And they win because of how they strategically took advantage of that so it's 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 much a part of the game as any anything else it's not something you can just ignore and think like you know again like carcassonne where you're just like moving forward as you know as long as you're in the lead you're you're winning and it's not the case in this game
0: yeah and then you also have this uh, again there's more (laughs) right so the (laughs) automa decks right so you've got each of these player boards flip over and and they become uh, like AI players, right? Yeah. So what was the thinking behind that? Is it because the game has so the game has to be three players and up, I guess. So even if you only have two people playing, you then trigger the third person would be basically an AI player. Is that kind of the general idea? Or
1: yeah, and so solo was like top priority. Yeah. For me, like I, I was like, you know, game has to be able to play solo, and so that was really what drove like where I landed with the autonomous system. Again, that autonomous system took months and months and months. Did you design
0: it like, yourself or did you have help? Yeah, or... I
1: did. Yeah. Again, like it, everything <laughs> I did it all. And I tried a lot of different things uh, and play test a lot of different ways. And it just was never quite right. It, it never quite felt right because it was like just trying to enable like what most automas do. They just like it kind of enable the game and it and it doesn't feel like it's really an active part of the game. And uh, where the automa ended is that each of the playboards flip over, each of them has their own deck of cards, and all of those decks of cards they share the same actions, but they're all weighted differently. Hmm. And so each of the each of the autumn actually has a bit of a personality. They 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 engage with the game just like a regular player it does right and so they kind of play that take that role of an extra player yeah. um, which ends up being really interesting so uh it does require three people to play the game because you have three sacred sites that you can be built per mountain and yeah. if you don't have three you can't actually like you can't actually complete the game it has to have at least three active okay. people act, active demigods but with the automa you know if you're playing solo you just throw in two of those Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting competition, and it's a legitimate competition. I've weighted them so like they there, there are things that you have to beat. Yeah, you have to it's just like playing a boss on a video game. Yeah, you have to figure out its weakness. You have to figure out its strengths. You have to figure out how to play against it, and and how to win against it. And so, uh, I've given little hints on like you know try this one first. This is yeah, what they're doing, say, but, yeah, uh, kind of doing. But because different personalities,
0: you would think that if somebody's like a newer player, they might say, "Well." you know, I want to play with, with this kind of uh, this Automa player instead of maybe the other one that might be a little bit harder. So there's some general hints to give them as to which ones might be a little more harder than others or?
1: Yeah, well, so they're all they're all listed with like a, a difficulty rating. So sure. the water demigod, mm-hmm. she's listed as friendly and she really is. She's she's very she's just very enabling. Yeah. Uh, you can still, I actually played, who did I play with? I played with someone and we totally lost to her. We played a two-player <laughs> game and she totally destroyed us because we just kind of kept feeding her. We, we weren't yeah. like playing carefully enough. To make sure that she didn't, you know, overwhelm us, but, um, water is very simple. And then there are two that are competitive that are, that kind of take two different approaches to being competitive, but like, uh, they're interesting. And then there's one that's kind of like insanity mode, fire, the fire demigod, uh, he's listed as aggressive and he's insanely aggressive. He's, he's very difficult to, uh, to beat, I always just like shake my head because there's a number of reviewers that are like, "Yeah, I made my video," and then I see them like, "I set up fire as the autumn." I'm like, "What? Are you, why are you setting <laughs> up I fire?" Lost. It's like the first time you've
0: played. <laughs> but so with it's what this it is. this campaign, this is there, there's no doubt that this game is is well thought out well designed. It's it's got a huge amount of kudos uh, right across you know all the content creators that I've watched all are pretty unanimous saying they absolutely love this game. Um, what are some of the things that you did from a marketing standpoint to kind of get the word out as a, as a first time kind of Kickstarter?
1: So my road to Kickstarter has been over a month, a year and a half. Hmm. So, um, and I did not know what I was doing a year and a half ago. So it was a lot of just like picking up advice from people. Um, I, I set up the Kickstarter page a year and a half ago. Like nice. It was forever ago, right? So, and I don't know how people found it. I, like, I, but I kept like growing numbers, kept growing, mm-hmm. and I couldn't even figure out how to get Kickstarter to show it to me, like the you know the page, because like Kickstarter, like if it's not launched, it like
0: yeah, it, you have it to refuses have to show yeah. you, yeah,
1: unless you know what to do. Now I know what to do. Like you have to go to whatever. Anyway, it's a whole okay. thing, and so, but I put that up, um, set up like a, a landing page, uh, and then. Set up social media accounts and things like that. Like mm-hmm. like all, like I wasn't even on social media. I had never like even signed up for Facebook prior to wow. doing this. Like I like I had zero. I I started from a zero, <laughs> a zero point, <laughs> with all of this stuff. So I started setting up all these accounts and you know started using those things. Um, but yeah. and again, like Instagram, because of my visual background, was like I feel really comfortable here because I can just make pretty things and post it yeah. here and people get excited. So that was actually the the yeah. audience that. Uh, I really enjoyed interacting with the most because they just like pretty stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm still like, I'm still, I still, Twitter makes no sense to me. Facebook's like completely overwhelming. I'm like, I don't even know how to like get around in here. I'm doing, I'm trying my best, but with all those little channels uh, you're able to start like actually pointing people to places where there are content. Right. So then when someone hears about it, you can be like, go here and, and voila. Right. And so that really helped a lot. Um, And then, it was only until I was maybe like, I don't know, three months before launching where I started actually like setting up stuff for advertising mm-hmm. and like actually doing paid things mm-hmm. to actually start sharing uh, about the game and, yeah. and, and getting like an email list growing. Like I definitely would have uh, done... Uh, I definitely would have grown an email list earlier and actually like promoted that a whole lot earlier looking back, you know, I was yeah. like, I should have been doing that a lot more. Cause that's how, where like,
0: how big the, was your email list? How big did you get it up to?
1: It was at uh 1090 something people like yeah. that when it, when it launched. So it's like not that big of a, of mm-hmm. an email list, honestly, right? And it and you know, and it had grown. It's bigger than
0: some. I mean, thousands a good a good start. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true. And honestly, though, like it was only at a couple of hundreds, maybe like three hundred. I had grown organically in yeah. until advertising. Yeah, So started, and then it like that's how it was able to grow. And honestly, that's how it funded quickly.
0: Yeah. it' a one hundred percent that email list. So, and how often would you email people? Were you sending you like monthly reminders, weekly? Reminders? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Daily. <laughs> no.
1: No, like, uh, I, I had sent out maybe, maybe three <laughs> emails prior to it. And most of them were like, we're going to be launching in a week. We're going to be launching tomorrow. Um, and then we just launched. So the, I guess those are those three. Right. There'll be one and more, then there I'm was sure maybe like one or hours two. Left,
0: I'm sure too. Right. Uh,
1: and then, yeah, like there'll be some more. Yeah. And then like yeah. I've emailed, sent a few emails during the campaign during, to the list, but, um, no, like my email game is, you know, like, and this is what comes down to when you're a solo designer doing all of this yourself is that you just have to kind of accept that uh, there are things that you can be doing better and yeah. you would do better had you hired someone to do it. Or so had- on that
0: note, I noticed you've got backer kit is uh, listed on your page. Now, is that mm-hmm. just for the pledge manager or use them for their um, social media amplification or, or how are they fitting in?
1: So they are, they're running ads. So okay. are you using the back, kit launch or whatever that yep. is or marketing marketing i think that's what it's called i can't remember i can't remember all their whatever. services it's all i call it social
0: media amplification but whatever the, the background okay things, social media amplification ads
1: <laughs> they're putting ads out there
0: yeah
1: um and then i also actually have next level web also oh, are nice. running ads and so they, they were running ads, uh, pre campaign and yeah. then they've, they've just like, kept a steady flow. So that's kind of like the control ads and then backer kit, um, has a lot more flux, right? Because yeah. of the way that they do things is just a completely different way. Yeah. So I've actually had both of those running ads in different ways during the campaign at least. Yeah. So, and then, and then backer will be there for the, the pledge manager.
0: So what's after Oro? So, you know, this campaign is obviously funding. You're you're 10 times your goal. You're, I'm sure you're going to be 15 times your goal by the time it's, it's done because you got the back end hockey stick now kicking in. Um, what's next? Or is is the bug kind of bit you? Are you going to keep doing more games? Or Or what's kind of going, you know, where do you go from here?
1: Yeah, well, so I'm going to get tacos when this is all over. That's like <laughs> step one. <laughs> and like, and go to sleep because yeah. i'm exhausted yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like the most exhausting thing the most stressful thing i think i've ever done in my life yeah is running a campaign um but in terms of uh, i mean i've actually have like a number of expansion concepts in the works i mean in, at the pace that i can work though as a solo designer yeah. it's probably going to take a number of years to have all that ready but expansions for oros um there's also another game that i'd started um, a while ago that i'm actually really excited about i was probably like more excited about that game than i am about oros um, that I kind of just put on ice, uh, a long time ago, just knowing that if I started going down that rabbit hole, this game would just, it, it wouldn't be here. Right. Yeah. It just wouldn't be where it is today. And I, I kind of had to just like say, stop working on that. And I had to devote hundred percent of my effort into getting, getting Oros to Kickstarter and getting it you know finished. So that's really what my next thrust is like making sure this thing gets manufactured at the quality with the details that I want because I'm yeah. like obsessive like that. So like, um, that's hundred percent of my time. And then
0: once that thing gets delivered, then we'll,
1: we'll start working on other things.
0: Well, certainly I think if, uh, the, the design up to this point in the process we've gone through is any indication of the kind of quality people can expect when they get the game, I'm sure they're going to be pretty happy uh, with the end result. Hope so. Um, yeah. So if anybody wants to check out this campaign, there is just under two days left, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Two days. Yeah. So they can find this game on Kickstarter. I'm going to put the link in the show notes, um, but if you go into Kickstarter, you can just search Oros, O-R-O-S, and you can find it very easily. Um, all the stuff that we talked about today is on there. You can see all those details and more. I encourage people to check out some of the, the preview videos as well because they get into the guts of how the game works. It is super cool, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I'm probably going to back it myself. Uh, it, it looks like that kind of fun, like it's nice, not too heavy, but it's heavy enough that I think there's a lot of replayability there, which I think is going to be absolutely awesome. So, uh, Brant, I want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. I want to wish you all the best of this campaign and, uh, can't wait to see what we got next, man.
1: Now, yeah, thank you.
0: All right, you take care. Cheers. You bet. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.